from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. So... I have a confession to make. I love Michael J. Fox, and I love Tracy Pollan. I have known this couple for several years now. I've interviewed Michael many times through the years, and I have to admit, both of them are my personal heroes. But when I saw Still, the newly released documentary that chronicles his life, I felt like I got to know Michael in a whole new way. The film is part 80s movie featuring Michael as the unlikely hero in his charming, supercharged, always-on-the-move way. But it's also such a deeply, profoundly personal story because it features Michael as another kind of unlikely hero, as someone who's fighting a battle every second of every day with Parkinson's disease. This entry of dance you do, and, and, and this, 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 this thing... I'm doing it now. I'm playing with this pillow. I'm moving it. This I'm moving. That's it. I'm finding ways to negotiate with this thing that's with me all the time. And so I'm having a conversation with you, but I'm also um, having this 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 Greco-Roman wrestling match with this monster that lives in my brain. Academy Award-winning filmmaker Davis Guggenheim, who I also admire a ton, spent three years making this documentary, capturing Michael's struggles but also getting up close and personal with what motivates Michael. And that is a deep connection to his family, a gigantic heart, and the knowledge that he is encouraging so many other people dealing with Parkinson's. He's he's actually the sweetest guy, the most wonderful guy I've ever worked with. On today's episode of Next Question, you'll hear how the filmmaker and the subject of Still came together to create an unforgettable portrait of a dear friend and an incredibly courageous man who has so much to teach us about what it means to live and appreciate every single day. I'll move around a lot. Yeah, is it okay? Okay, good. All right. He does his own foley. (laughs) First of all, hi guys. I'm so happy to see you both. Um, Davis, it's been a long time. Mike, less long, but always love being with you. I finished watching the documentary, and I have one word for both of you, which is wow. I loved it. I thought, I mean, I love Michael, so Mm. I was predisposed. But there's so much I want to talk to you all about. And I guess the first question is is for Mike. Why now? Why did you want to do this documentary now? Because you asked me, I think, mostly. (laughs) Really? I was just hanging out and not doing anything and kind of feeling like the air was ripe with opportunity and I didn't know what the opportunity was to do something interesting. And um, and and Davis called me and I think I said some things that he liked, which was I said, if we do this, I'm not interested in editing you. I'm not interested in making a movie about how I got you to make the movie I want to make. Yeah. I, I, I want you to really just 
throw your art at it and see what, you, see what happens. And, and as far as why now, um, the, the more complicated answer, which is that um, I, 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 I broke my hand. I can't play guitar anymore. I, I, my hand shakes. I can't draw anymore. I can't paint anymore. I can't, I can't, all this stuff I can't do, that I ever could, but things I enjoyed are things that gave me peace and gave me a sense of doing, doing something. And so now and my life has become my clay and I just like throw it back on the wheel and make something else out of it. And, and that's what this is. It really was an opportunity for you to be creative in another way and to look back on your life and Davis before I talk to you about the really unique way that you made this film, which is a visual amalgamation and audio amalgamation of, of Michael's life, why did you decide you wanted to do a documentary about Michael J. Fox? I was on Martha's Vineyard during COVID and feeling pretty low, like feeling in a personal rut and a professional rut. And feeling like I've just made the same movie over and over again. And I was looking, uh, not just for a movie, but just for some lifeline. And I started reading his book, No Time Like the Future. And there was wisdom in it for me in, in an unexpected place. I didn't think I was going to find wisdom from a movie star. <laughs> <laughs> he says dismissively. <laughs> He's written four books. Did you read all four of them, Davis, ultimately? Yeah, yeah. deep dive into all his stuff. And uh, it's easy to sort of say, oh, that's a that's a famous person just writing something. First of all, he's a great writer. There's great storytelling in it. And there's humor and wisdom in it that I, I personally needed. So you decided to tackle this, this project and you had some challenges because there was limited footage of, of Mike as a little boy, yeah. although God bless those class photos. They made, <laughs> they killed me. Honestly, they are priceless. I'm so glad you kept those. So there were some things from Michael's childhood, but yeah. there were also limitations in terms of yeah. how you, you got the visual vocabulary to tell Michael's story. So Put together the pieces of the puzzle because I know it was sort of a conversation between you and your editor. Yeah. And you were trying to figure out, like, how do we tell this story? Right. So the glue of all this is Michael's great writing and his voice carries the movie. But then there's part, like you say, there are parts of his life that, where there weren't cameras. And so my, my solution was reenactments. But Michael Hart, this brilliant editor from Donegal, Ireland, Michael Fox's clapping right now uh, uh quietly um and and uh and his solution was to use some of michael j fox's movies it was from, brilliant from that period in ways that i would never have imagined yeah right so you give me an example uh, I, I, um when i was falling in love with tracy <laughs> i was so in love with this girl and and i and we were seeing other people and she was only did the show for a short amount of time so i thought is this gonna go away is this this person, I go, why am I just not going to see her anymore? And um, and and we had a great moment at, at our cars, which was really a nice metaphor when, when she was leaving the show for the last time, and 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 my car was parked next to her car at Paramount parking lot, her rental rabbit, <laughs> and my Ferrari. That yeah, I mean, doesn't that say it all? By the way, Mike. Oh, my Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. He just sort of drops that one. To get in my Ferrari to get into a rabbit to talk about. 
about, and, and I guess she was really worried about me. Here's this girl, I'm falling in love with this girl, I'm never gonna see her again. She thinks I'm gonna get, die, you know, partying too hard, and, and um, I said, A, you have the job. B, we're having lunch, and, and C, um, uh, we got married two years later. So, so it was this amazing moment. We shot a big scene down in uh, um, Grand Village. We're walking through the streets, and the characters falling in love. From Bright Lights, Big City. Lights, big City. And I, I was the person who was living that, and I felt the thing. They're on a date in the movie, but they're also dating. And, and lit by Gordon Willis, the guy who shot The Godfather. So it's like... Beautiful. In, beautiful. They're in silhouette. And her first line is, I was looking at the other night, she goes, I guess I'm supposed to be impressed by your big fancy job, <laughs> which is true for the characters in that movie, but it was also true... Yeah. In their life, he had just done Back to the Future, and he's he's still not impressed. <laughs> and she's still not impressed. <laughs> but it's so, that's but it's true. In so many cases, you found a place for art imitating life, and it really works so well. I was curious where this came from. The beginning of the film, Michael wakes up and he notices his his pinky is fluttering. Yeah, I think you showed Michael in bed. Yeah. So yeah. you you intercut a reenactment. Tell me about that scene and why you chose to start with that. Why did we start there? Yeah. It cuts to Michael present time in bed as well. Right. And there's this great line, which is, uh, he's talking about what his pinky is, and it's like, this, this is a message from the future. Right. Which is obviously incredible reference to Back to the Future, but it also gave me this incredible opportunity to jump forward in time to Michael now. And, uh, amazing double entendres and triple entendres. There really are. And obviously, the title of the film is still, but you use that in contrast with with Michael, who is for so long just in, and still is, <laughs> in constant motion, yeah. right? You yeah. know, yeah. and you, you allude to that, Michael, towards the end about sort of always moving, always moving. Yeah. And it's amazing how many of those shots that you all found beautifully illustrated sort of the frenetic energy of Michael. Yeah. There's a feeling that, and this is in your book, because all these go back to Michael's writing, but for a long time you're running towards something, which is what? What would you say that would be? Um, the destiny, future. Future, fame, Hollywood. De destiny. You know, and then, of course, he's running away from Parkinson's. Always running, always running, always running. The biggest thing was, me watching movies, you sucked me in. I felt like I was watching a movie, like, even though it was about me, I just... <laughs> when you saw all those scenes, did you feel like you were watching your life flash before your eyes in a way? Very much, very much. It, it, it was amazing. It was like we all have this fantasy where someone takes your life and goes, this is it. You look at the sum total of what you've done and what you've accomplished, what you haven't accomplished, who you love, who loves you. And it was all there. I had this gift he gave me. It's really amazing, and, and um, I guess I am who I thought I was, which is kind of nice. When we come back, you'll hear what really happened when Michael was told off by his now wife, Tracy, on the day they met. This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. 
some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're back with Michael J. Fox and Davis Guggenheim. Can I ask a question, Katie? Because yeah, you make a please. film, it's over, and then you have a new question. And, and I, I, I don't think I ever asked this, but because now I see Michael as this incredible role model. He's become this spectacular human. Did you have any intention of being this person now? No. I just wanted to drink all the beer and then go out with her girlfriends. And someone said, you, you know, and... In forty years, you're going to be this guy who starts a foundation and is. That's 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 a weird part. That's weird. I'm telling you what you know because you did it. But but um, this is moving towards something, and moving away from something, but moving towards um, deciding when I was a kid I was going to leave Canada. Who does that? Right. You know, you know, move from Canada to, to California at seventeen. It, it it's preposterous. And I thought one of the great things about the film was. I didn't realize how hard it was when you first got to L.A. I thought you illustrated that really well, you know, when when Michael had to sell his sectional couch, you know, bit by bit, how, you know, you were living on McDonald's and you were eating. I think you said you would get those little jam or jelly packets yeah. and eat those. From smokers. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I hop mean, for my hop. Yeah. I mean, talk about like a, uh, a starving artist. But that was really fun to watch those family ties moments. And particularly because Gary David Goldberg did not want him. I remember reading about this in any way, shape or form. He didn't want you. Brandon Tartikoff didn't want you. Said you were never going to be on the front of a lunchbox. And you sent him a lunchbox with something like, uh, here I am, love Michael or whatever. This is for you to put your crow in. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, this is, look, look. this is to put your crow in? Yeah, it was nasty. <laughs> well, you were kind of a dick a little bit, you know, doing family ties. You got, as my mom would say, a little big for your britches. Yeah. And you admit that. And I love that he found that footage. I love that footage. I'm just being a dick. Very you, demanding. Give me two, give me three. <laughs> Shut up, sit down, have a beer. And you could even tell that Justine Bateman was like rolling her eyes. Like, this guy is so annoying and obnoxious, right? And you picked that up. You picked up on that. Yeah, yeah no, I saw it. Can we redo this scene? How many shots? And I saw it. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, God, here we and go. she's rolling her eyes. So you were being kind of a tool and, and got a little full of yourself. And you talk about a scene you were in with Tracy Pollen, who is also a friend who I adore. And she had garlic breath, and you made some joke about, how was that shrimp scampi? Scampi for lunch, babe. A little scampi for lunch, babe. <laughs> scampi for lunch, babe. The, the when the babe. documentarian has to do the one-liner, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the babe is the killer part. Tracy looked you in the eye and said, that was really mean, that was cruel, and you are a... Complete fucking asshole. Yeah. And that really, since you were the, the golden boy, in fact, you say in the documentary, nobody really ever talked to me like that. Can I say something crude? Yeah. Got a little chubby. Got, got a little chubby at that moment. A little turned on by how cool she was and how assertive she was. And how oh, you got a little chubby. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know what you were talking about. That took me a few minutes. Okay. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> So, but I was going to ask you, is that one of many things that attracted you to her that she just like was direct and told you exactly what you needed to hear at that time? Yeah, she's brilliant that way. She just can see things clearly. And this is a really difficult time for her right now with me getting all this attention for this film because, because she's not me. She's her. And like to this day, I mean, uh, but I love that. I just, it, it makes me full of love for her. I just think, yeah, absolutely. She didn't have Parkinson's. I have Parkinson's. She has experienced it every day, and she has to. And I have to make sure I find the room for her to be her, separate from this. And 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 that was kind of like what you were saying that, that first thing I was saying. I'm not here to play your fucking game, and I, I don't have to put up with your. Being a jerk. Oh, this is crap. Davis, I'm just curious as an outsider, as a filmmaker, as someone who has spent time with both of them now, mm -hmm. a lot of time, mm -hmm. um, what have you observed about their relationship? Because they're just quite remarkable. I agree. And one that thing they share is devotion to family. Michael's a complete open book in making this movie, but both Tracy and Michael were protective of their family. It's like, not just to keep them off camera, but just to, they have their own lives. I'm not, I don't want to speak for you guys, but that's what Tracy yeah. and you say, hey, this film shouldn't even remotely detract from what they're doing. What they're doing in their own lives is more important. That devotion of family, I think, is is really, yeah, really she, beautiful. But let's, let's I, talk. I, I just want to talk to my kids yes. real quick. Um, I want to hang with up. A few said, if said, Asked them about Parkinson's, they would not they didn't get it. They wouldn't get the connection. They wouldn't like it was never a big part of our lives or my fame was a big part of their lives. They have their own lives. They're really interesting people. 
Very sweet people. They're very kind people. Very unpretentious. unpretentious. They're not full of themselves. Funny they never shit. trade on your celebrity or Tracy's. No. And it's amazing that all of your kids turned out to be such normal, good, hardworking, kind people. There's so many great stories. And obviously, the foundation of the documentary is Michael talking. And how many days did you spend doing those interviews? I almost didn't do them at all. So my first idea was no interviews. I wanted to just to make a movie where you get lost in the footage. Uh-huh. I, what I pitched to Apple was I wanted to make a documentary that felt like an 80s movie. And then I did this commercial. This DP showed me the shot where the camera's right here. And Michael and I are like looking at each other like really, really close. Usually, you know, sometimes you're 10 feet away. Right. And there's lots of people and a guy eating a sandwich and, on, you know, you know. <laughs> And this this one angle, Michael could look me in the eye, but it looks like he's looking into the camera. Right. And I said, "That's I'm going to try that. And we went to your office on Fifth Avenue, and we did that one interview, and it was just electric. Like you, you see in the movie, he's just so winning. He's so charismatic. He's so funny. He's so intimate. And so honest. And so, so really honest. And uh, I go, wow. This is the core of the movie. And so that one setup, we did six days over a year. Wow. So the last thing we shot was um, that last one with your last therapy session with Ryan. The The process of even doing that interview was yeah. probably pretty tiring for Michael. A lot happened in that year. We were shooting. Yeah, awful here. It was, you call it, we tell your doctor it was a festival of self-abuse. <laughs> I, I kept breaking him. You broke your hand? I broke my hand. I broke both arms. I broke my shoulder. I had my shoulder replaced. I broke my face. I broke my um, elbow. And, and and it was really painful. I was in the hospital. I, I, and I'm down for a good time. I, I, I don't want to be a jerk to anybody. Um, but it's constantly, constantly, I always say, whatever, whatever you think I'm doing, I'm doing something else. And um, it's just a, a fact of your life. Everything that I do, like the, the movie, and everything happens in the context of, 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 of negotiating with this thing. You know, I want to talk about three moments in the movie that, that really affected me. So you were diagnosed at 29 in 1991, is that right? Yeah. And then you told the, the world you had it. 98. 98. And you're dealing with so much. And then you're dealing with having to keep this a secret. And I was curious, looking back on it now, do you have any regrets about not telling the world? Was You were really afraid, and you talk about this in the film, if people would accept you, if they would find you funny, you know, what the reaction would be. But at the same time, harboring this secret must have been so much pressure on you as well. It was it was hard. Um, Tracy was amazing during that time, and um, she got me through. Like like I had to figure out how to keep a secret, and then I, I quit drinking, so that was that was interesting. And then and then I was I was in serious danger of losing my marriage and losing my family. One of the things that really affected me in a great way and paid off down the line was when I I said I had Parkinson's and all this fuss happened and all these tabloids and stuff. And then I got into these chat rooms with, with Parkinson's patients who didn't know it was me. 
And and I would talk to them and and, and say, What about this Michael Fun? And they, they said, I love that he had Parkinson's. And when I got over the shock of these people celebrating the fact that I had Parkinson's, I got it. I went, oh, I get it. And then my goal became to get to the point where I eventually got to, where I could step into that and say, hey, here's what I can do, here's what I can't do. Let's talk about it. You So that's when you started the, the Michael yeah, J. Fox Foundation. Thing. You know, um, I did have to laugh when you used that sort of cloying Barbara Walters interview, May She Rest in Peace, uh, that was sort of unctuous and um, <laughs> inappropriate. What did she say, Davis? You're in the fight for your life. It's almost the way she said it more than than okay. her words, right? Because you were afraid that audiences would treat you differently. And I love the line when Michael said, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> because he was now being subjected to to that kind of maudlin, pitying kind of interaction. And you were like, holy shit, was it better when I kept it a secret just for that nanosecond? The other moment that I was very taken by was when you were with your physical therapist. You said something along the lines, Michael, of, you know, people are looking to me. They're looking to me fighting this disease. And I, I can't let them down. Your physical therapist said, you know, you don't always have to be Michael J. Fox. And it made me think what a huge responsibility and how unfair in many ways that was to you. And I wonder, gosh, does Mike ever think, I don't want to be the goddamn poster child for Parkinson's disease? I wondered about that because you've got so much you're dealing with already. As you said, simultaneously navigating what's happening in your brain every moment while trying to carry on a conversation, while trying to walk down the street in New York City and trying not to fall. And then I'm like, this guy feels like he can't let people down. It's like, it's like a schnauzer on your pant leg. But you know, the thing about that is that I'm, I'm, I'm full enough and ready enough to take that and, and, to, and to move forward with it. And if there's a role for me to play, I'll play it because, goddammit, all, all that's been said and done I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm like, this kid from Canada. I have this beautiful wife, these great kids. I'm a multimillionaire. I've got, I got, I got, I got like this life I've lived that shit, yeah, it's for me to step up and do something. And, and, and so I saw it as a great privilege, a great opportunity. And, and, and I just managed to run into great people along the way and, and just, just focus on what we needed to do. And, and I guess the answer to all your questions is it's not personal. It's not personal. I, circumstance. It's a circus of circumstance. And I'm just walking the line. And I, I thought, yeah, no, there's something I can do here. And what, what I could do was I, I could rally people. And, and I, I, I don't take credit for it. Done, I, I'm glad that I'm part of a group of people that got this done. What I will take credit for, or I'm proud of, at least, is, is that there's a woman that's going to the grocery store right now. 20 years ago, I wouldn't have gone to the grocery store. Wouldn't have fumbled with a change purse. Wouldn't have risked the guy in the parking lot thinks she was drunk when she got into a car. Um, it, it, it was a horrible life. And now, perhaps because of me to a certain extent, she can say, yeah, I Parkinson. Like, like Michael Fox. I wanted to ask you, I mentioned three parts of the doc that really affected me. And one is when you're talking to Michael in one of the interviews over those six days. During one of those interviews, there's a point in the film where you guys deal with what you call shitty stuff. 
And Davis, you imply that that Michael darts away when you ask him how he feels. And you talk to him about, are you in pain? So the film was finished. I mean, I had a, a version of the film that you could show someone and, and it worked. It was great. But I remember watching it with the editor, Michael Hart, and I go, Just, there's something missing here. Because with all of Michael's optimism and with all his insistence not to be pitied, which is an important thing for me too, not to do that, he, I realized that he didn't actually tell us the full story of like the year he's been through and that he was in pain. And of course, the way you say it, it's pretty funny, but it's like, it's like, it never came up. I said, it never like, came up. I talked to you for hours and hours and hours. You never talk about your pain. You, oh, the first thing you say is, I'm in a tremendous amount of pain. And I, I was actually really shocking when you said it to me because I was like, oh, like you're, you're really good at hiding it. You, you really, not only do you not talk about it, but you don't exhibit it. You know, and it's it's the flip side of this optimism, right? And he just goes, well, I'm not going to lead with it. <laughs> Are there moments, Michael, when you're not not so brave? I'm uh, brave is like like uh, brave brave is uh I hear the word brave and courage, and I have no choice. I have no. I mean, like like okay, let's be brave. So I guess the fallback is I'm brave. Well, I guess I mean, do you ever allow yourself to be furious, you know, to rage? I rage when I used to rage when I was younger. Like when Tracy talks about it, I say, oh, I was a dick. Because I can see the pain in her face. I can I can see how hard that was. Uh, like rage. I don't feel rage now. I think the thing that I feel now that that is not pleasant is um, I haven't got a trick for it. There's no easy answer. There's no, I can't, I can't con it. I can't charm it. I can't, I can't wish it into the cornfield. You know, it's just, it, it's just there. I think a word, I'm going to cop to a certain amount of wisdom, hard-earned wisdom. I don't want to look at something and say, okay, I can look at this this way 10 times and, never get anywhere and get pissed off and get frustrated. Or I can just go, yeah, and then move on. It's more like uh, acceptance? Acceptance. Acceptance is huge. Acceptance and gratitude. Um, of, all, of everything I've ever written is one line that I kind of go, well, that's good. If that's, if that's my one line that I write in my life, I'm happy with it, which is with gratitude. Um, Optimism is sustainable. If I can find something to be grateful in every day, I can, I can win that day. That's that's great advice for everyone, honestly, and and so true. Up next, how Michael's foundation helped bring a game-changing breakthrough in Parkinson's research. If you want to get smarter every morning with a breakdown of the news and fascinating takes on health and wellness and pop culture, sign up for our daily newsletter, Wake Up Call, by going to katiecouric.com. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? 
While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're back with Michael and Davis. Although Parkinson's disease is the second most common neurodegenerative disorder in the U.S. after Alzheimer's, the only course of action for patients is to treat their symptoms. And unfortunately, by the time those symptoms are visible, the disease is already well underway. That's why a major goal for researchers has been to diagnose Parkinson's earlier and develop interventions to slow it down or stop it altogether. Now the results of a major new study are in, and with monumental help from the Michael J. Fox Foundation, it looks like earlier diagnosis may actually become a reality. The breakthrough announced this month in the journal Lancet Neurology involves the discovery of a biomarker called alpha-synuclein. I talked with Michael all about this important step. I wanted to talk to you about the research for Parkinson's because, you know, as somebody who saw my dad succumb to the disease, and my dad died in 2011. You were diagnosed in 1991. So much money, so much research, so many brilliant scientists. Why has it been so, so hard to come up with better medication to control the disease or even, God willing, a cure? Talk to me about that. A diagnosis, you move funny and you, you can't keep your hands still or whatever. And so we, we run through a series of tests and... And it kind of in a subjective way tell you you have Parkinson's. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you're right. Um, but but that's what it is. We've never had a biological way to say, yes, you have these markers. So Because that's, that takes a lot of work because you got to take this common cohort of people that have similar uh, symptoms and, and problems and, and eliminate them. And that's a gigantic, that takes billions of dollars. Luckily, we came into billions of dollars. Yeah. And we we found a way to do it. And this was like over a thousand patients from yeah. 2010 to and 2019, was, was really right? We, we need we needed to get uh, spinal taps. We needed to get spinal fluid, which is hard to extract. It's pretty painful. We had to get people who didn't have Parkinson's to, to do spinal taps. Wow, which is like <laughs> that's hard to do. Yeah, like, yeah, hi, do you mind? Secret, yeah. <laughs> Let's take a needle in your spine. So, but we found enough people to do it. We found family members that love their family, love their their and their uncle, their mom, their dad. And, and subjected themselves to this, and that was a key thing. So when I when I go through and I thank people for this, it, it really uh, it takes a it takes a metropolis, it takes a billion people to get this done. It's huge what what's happened because now we can get to the point where where a four year old gets a swab, and we find out they're gonna have Parkinson's in twenty years, and then we give them a pill and send them on their way. And and so this was the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative. PPMI. Yeah. And basically, it found out. It discovered that we could isolate this protein. Isolate a protein that is present in Parkinson's patients. Yeah. And we can we can find a way to, to, to isolate it and to see it in, laid bare and to say, that's why you have Parkinson's. And does that mean you could potentially... I mean, the gates open and drug companies come flooding in because they're going to make a billion, gajillion dollars. How to stop the progression. And and, and now imagine if you're just going in and have a standard test because it's as easy as a swab or, or, or a blood. And they say... Blood test. Yeah, you're about 40 years away from it, but you're going to get Parkinson's. So let's take this tablet that, that the good people at this just came up with and to their great financial glee. Um, but 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 certainly to also to the benefit of mankind. So instead of treating it, it's preventing it by diagnosing it well, even it, way way before you become symptomatic. You're preventing it. T- tell me if I have this right. But the, you know when Michael seeing his doctor, Doctor Bressman, who's an amazing doctor at Mount Sinai, incredible. That this thing where she's having him open and close his fingers. Mm-hmm. This is what someone told me that 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 thing is what doctors have done for years. Where yeah, you basically it. do that open and talking. Closure because they have no other way of really seeing whether you have Parkinson's. And finally, this breakthrough is they can say you have it with a test. And that, like Michael said, opens up all these doors for, for more testing, for more tracking. It's a huge. For more treatment. Yes. Is that right? It's huge. It's, yeah, you're exactly right. It's a huge game changer. It's It's massive. We have this one benefactor who's gives us gigantic, gigantic sums of money. And he, when he first gave us the money, I had a conversation with him. And I was very deferential and very grateful. But I said, please tell me that you're not giving me all this money to come in and run your agenda. You have to run our agenda. And what did he say? And he said, said, no one else is going to do it but you guys. And he gave us the money. And he just wrote a check and stepped back. And said... Please do this important work. Yeah. I mean, science moves so painfully slow because I think about this took over nine years. Yeah. It, as you said, you had to find patients to do spinal taps who didn't have Parkinson's. You had to, I mean, I and think I'm really people... irritating too. <laughs> like, I really incentivize them to get me out of their office. 
But we got it done. Cure him quickly. We got to get him out yeah, of here. Yeah, he did a little rat. Coming <laughs> <laughs> back to Canada. <laughs> well, it's very exciting. But how far are we, Michael, now that this breakthrough has happened? Is it up to the drug companies to figure out how to identify this protein and how to figure out how to what to do with it? And, yeah. And, and when you think about the future, how long will that be, you think? I think, I think realistically, there's 20 years to get to this point, I think. There are five or ten to where it's marketable, viable. And what's so exciting, too, is, you know, I've done a lot of work in ALS as well. I had a friend who died of ALS. I have a friend who's dealing with ALS right now. And <clears throat> all these neurodegenerative diseases are connected. ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's. And so unlocking some of these mysteries will have such a huge impact on all of these diseases. One of my favorite phrases is a rising tide lifts all boats. And there's going to be a lot of boats floating. Which is so exciting. They laid it out for me and, and they, they said, this is what we're looking for to do. And it was so preposterous. And I said, the, the amount of people you got to get to do this. It just, there just aren't that many people in the world that care about Parkinson's. It's a lot of people. And I just leaned across the table, I remember, and I said, it's not us who. And that's really what's fueled us. Well, thank God you did. The simple way of putting it is it's a huge breakthrough. Yeah. Well, I want to say the Michael J. Fox Foundation, as you found out, Davis, is just incredible. And I've been a proud supporter of it in honor of my dad, but also in honor of, of Michael because he's one of my personal heroes. And the fact that you know, he's very humble and modest, but people have contributed $2 billion to Parkinson's research because of this guy and because of my dad and because of their uncles and brothers and sisters and all kinds of personal connections as well. Yeah. But he has become such a leader in this this field. It's, it's the greatest thing. And aside from my family, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I say another one of my corny things, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift that keeps on taking, but it's a gift. It's a gift that keeps on taking and a gift that keeps on giving, right? Yeah. It's well, I, I'm so happy that you all came in. Thank you, Davis. It's great to see you again, Michael. I mean, I just want to I want to take you home, but I don't think Tracy would like that. <laughs> like you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. Let's get a dog. That was between us. Bonnie Wright, let's give him something to talk about. <laughs> anyway, this was great. Is there anything that you feel like you wanted to talk about that I didn't bring up? I wanted to thank him. Go ahead. For um, for putting this in my life right now. It's a, it's been a great way to express myself and tell my story and tell other people's story. And you, you just, you, 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 you're freaking gifted. You just, you have an eye and a heart and a mind and a compassion and an empathy that just is present only in the best artists. And you're one of them. You're one of the best artists I've ever worked with. Thank you. That was fun. It was great. Just a wonderful three years of my life. Yeah, thanks for this, Katie. Of this course. Is, this is really fun. Of course. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have a question for me or want to share your thoughts about how you navigate this crazy world, reach out. You can leave a short message at 609 609- 512-5505 or you can send me a DM on Instagram 
I would love to hear from you. Next Question is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. Our supervising producer is Marcy Thompson. Our producers are Adriana Fazio and Catherine Law. Our audio engineer is Matt Russell, who also composed our theme music. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to the description in the podcast app or visit us at katiecouric.com. You can also find me on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 